Matthew 2.12. And being warned of God in a dream that they, that's the wise men, should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him when he arose he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt have I called my son. That's my message today. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Thank you for standing in the presence of the Lord. So long you may be seated. The favorite words in Pentecost. You may be seated. After the birth of Jesus Christ... Perhaps as long as two years after his birth, the wise men came from the east to worship this young child, Jesus Christ. I began reading this morning where Brother D.J. Hill finished reading on Wednesday night. In this month, there has been a flow of the story of Christmas on the first Sunday of this month. I preached on the king who couldn't kill Christmas although he surely did try. The wise men gave Jesus extravagant, expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then when they were ready to go back and let King Herod know where this king of the Jews was born, the Lord warned them in a dream, and they departed for their country another way. They did not return to Herod. It would not be long until Herod realized the wise men weren't coming back. Don't hold your breath, Herod. They're not coming back. He was mocked, he said, of the wise men. And in his rage and fury, he demanded that every male child of the age of two and under in all of Bethlehem and its suburbs, that they would be put to death. Herod intended to kill Christmas. But there's something you need to know from this aspect of this story. That God has never been caught off guard. He has never been a step behind the devil. He's never had to patch in some remedy at the last minute for what Satan has plotted against us. It's important for you to understand that God's work in your life is not reactive, it is proactive. He's not just one step ahead of the devil, he's light years ahead of him. The Bible said that he knows the traps of the devil and he will keep us from stepping into what Satan has laid for us. Psalm 25, 15, he will pluck our feet out of the net. He rescues us from the traps of the devil. 
Psalm 139 tells us the Lord goes before us and he also is working behind us. Like the story I shared on December 1st of the king of Israel who was warned by Elisha of the plans of the king of Syria and they told him, kings of Syria, whatever you say in your bedroom, God knows. And he tells the prophet of Israel and they know your plan. While Herod was in his palace plotting the death of Jesus, Jesus knew that plan. God Almighty knew that plan. And he told Joseph in a dream, Herod is going to seek the young child to destroy him. So I want you to take him and flee into Egypt. Now we know that Joseph and Mary or in Bethlehem, because of that census and taxation, they left Nazareth, traveled the 90 miles, got there, and while they were there, Jesus Christ was born in a barn, laid in a feed box, a manger, in that lowly, lowly place of the inn. Now, Joseph and Mary have been there for a couple of years. The Lord tells them, in Matthew 2.13, take this child and flee into Egypt and be there until Pharaoh, excuse me, until Herod dies and I will bring you back. I'm getting ahead of myself because Pharaoh's in this sermon later. Now, must have been pretty frightening. There's this powerful king. He wants to kill your son. In the middle of the night, they leave. They don't tell anyone who can you trust when there's a plot to snuff out your child's life. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, sleepy, quiet town. Joseph and Mary have lived there for about two years. I'm sure that Joseph was busy about his carpentry trying to reestablish the business that he had established in Nazareth of Galilee. You know, it takes about two years to get a business off the ground. And here's Joseph trying to establish himself in Bethlehem. Now in a dream, the Lord says, pull up all your roots. They're not that deep anyway. Leave Bethlehem and go down into Egypt. I cannot imagine how it felt for them. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 90 miles. According to the maps... It appears that Joseph and Mary and the young child Jesus would travel about 150 miles out of Bethlehem depending on where they went in Egypt. Egypt was not under Roman rule, so they would be safe there from the threat that Herod was bringing against their life. Now, this story kind of begs a question to me. If God is writing this story, if God is sovereign in power, why would he take Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And then why would he take them from Bethlehem down to Egypt? Do you not believe that God could protect Jesus in Bethlehem? Could he not say, Joseph, go back to Galilee, to the city of Nazareth, hide him out. I'm going to protect him there. So it's interesting to me 
that the Lord would give this command. But here's what I want you to see in this story today. That God had a grand plan. He was writing the script. And for his purpose to play out in the life of Jesus and a prophecy to be fulfilled, this had to happen. Matthew 2 and 15, at the end of that verse, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that said, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And if God said it in the Old Testament several hundred years before, God would orchestrate his plan to get Jesus, his son, down into Egypt so he could bring him up out of Egypt. So this had to happen to fulfill biblical prophecy. Now Egypt is a part of Bible history from way back early in the Bible. The earliest mention of Egypt is in Genesis 12 and 10 when Abraham was in a time of famine and he and his family went down to Egypt so they would find food for his family there. In the days of Isaac, the son of Abraham, there was another famine. It seems like famine comes in every generation. Times that are difficult come in everyone's life. But Isaac tells, is told by the Lord, do not go into Egypt. You stay here in this land and I will bless you here. And he was blessed, the Bible says, 100 fold. But later in his son's life, Jacob who would be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, Jacob becomes Israel. There is another famine in the land. And the Lord moves on Jacob to send his boys down into Egypt to get food. Now what they're not knowing is that there is a family member who has already been placed there by the providence of God. The brothers of Joseph sold him into slavery. Joseph goes down into Egypt ahead of his brothers. He is exalted to the position of second in command in Egypt. There are seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Joseph is like the prime minister of all of Egypt. They have stockpiled grain for seven years. And now all the world is coming to Egypt, and they're opening their treasures of grain, and they are making a fortune selling grain to the people of all over the world. And here are Jacob's sons coming down, not knowing that their brother Joseph is this man they don't recognize, and they are at his mercy, and he reveals himself to them, and they are there in Egypt. Egypt is always this part of the story of God's people, this place that now Jacob and his son, 70 souls, the Bible said, are there. But time goes by. They start off as favored house guests. They're kin to royalty. But in time, they become slaves. 100, 200, 300 years go by. And then 400 years go by. And Israel is down in Egypt in slavery. And they seem to be stuck there. There arose a king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And they 
are there and they cannot get out until God raises up Moses to be a deliverer to them. And with a mighty hand, God brings them out. They are baptized unto Moses in the sea, under the cloud. And they come out of the land of Egypt and the Lord delivers them. And when Moses goes to Pharaoh, according to Exodus 4.23, the Lord said, you go to Pharaoh and say to him, let my son go. Now the Bible said that Israel is God's firstborn which makes us Gentiles, God's secondborn in a way, right? Let my son go. All of this is woven into Bible history. They are delivered out of Egyptian bondage and the power of God is demonstrated. Fast forward to the end of your Old Testament. Those little tiny books we call minor prophets. Not minor because of their unimportance, minor because the length of those books. And in Hosea, that story about the backsliding of Israel, Hosea and Gomer and all of that, in Hosea 11 and 1, there is a verse that is really in a context of Israel's failure to be faithful to God. But Hosea says something, Hosea 11.1, 1. when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Hosea is looking back historically to see when God brought his son Israel out of Egyptian bondage. But Hosea perhaps didn't even comprehend what he was saying. For while he saw the perspective historically, he was also looking ahead prophetically to the time another son of God, the God manifest in the flesh, the only begotten of the Father, that he would go down into Egypt. You cannot get out of Egypt until you first go down into Egypt. So in Matthew 2, 13 and 14, the Lord tells Joseph, take this child, his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there. Herod's going to try to kill him. And all of this is going to be done, Matthew said, that it might be fulfilled by the prophet. So here's what you need to know about God. If God ever says anything, it will always come to pass. It is impossible for God to lie. The promises of God are yes, and in him they are amen. Not one tiny punctuation mark of God's word will ever fail. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, he said, shall never pass away. You've got one line in the book of Hosea that says, out of Egypt have I brought my son. So God will orchestrate every event so that his word will be fulfilled. So Pharaoh threatens him. Herod threatens him. Joseph sees a dream. Joseph takes his wife and her son 
conceived of the Holy Ghost, begotten of God, not begotten of Joseph. And they go down away from the dominion of Herod down into Egypt for protection, for the provision provided by the wise men. While Joseph cannot work in this season, they have the resources to sustain them while they are in Egypt. So I ask you again, why did God write this story into the script of the Christmas story? Was it merely because of one line in the book of Hosea that says, out of Egypt have I brought my son, or is there even more there than just the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? It is because God said it, but why did God say it? What is the significance of Jesus going down into Egypt? You see, Old Testament Israel went down into Egypt God blessed them there, prospered them there. They came out with great substance and it showed the power of God over the power of Satan. Jesus went down to Egypt for the same reason he came to earth. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason he was born in a barn and laid in a feed box called a manger. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason he was born of parents that were extremely poor. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason he was baptized of John in Jordan River to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of God according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus went down there to show you and to show me that if God takes you down there, He can keep you there even if you're in a place that is much like Egypt. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason he was despised and rejected of men. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason that he who knew no sin could become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus went down into Egypt for the same reason that he suffered the cruel death of the cross. So that wherever we would go, we would know that he has already been there and already done that. Hebrews 2.17 Talking about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. In other words, when God sent forth his son into the world, made of a woman, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, he did not come to be a step ahead of us. He came to be one of us. To walk the same roads we walk. To feel the same things we feel. It behooved him. It was God's decision that he would be made like us. So that he might be 
a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Here's what I want you to comprehend from this story. That God Almighty did not exempt himself from the trials and the troubles of life so that we can know that Jesus has already been wherever we would go in the rugged, deeply rutted roads of life. He went into Egypt so you would know that he knows what it is like to run for your life. He went into Egypt so you would know that he knows what it is like to be in a strange and unfamiliar environment when life is chaotic and everything seems to have gone wrong, where it doesn't make any sense at all, but you are there in the will of God. And he allows us to go down into Egypt so that we would know he has the power to bring us back up and out again. I want you to understand today that God is not aloof from where you are. He is easily touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He feels what we feel. He doesn't just know what you know. He feels what you feel. He has walked down every road of life. He has experienced all the vicissitudes, every trouble that you will ever face in your life. He has been there and done that and he knows. He went down into Egypt in the will of God. But he did not stay there. The same God who told Joseph, take Mary and her son and go down into Egypt. There was a day when Herod died and the threat had abated that God spoke to Joseph again And said, essentially, the coast is clear. It is okay for you to go back. And he even guided him in that old process back to Nazareth of Galilee. But you need to understand this, that when God says, out of Egypt, have I called my son or my daughter, that he knows exactly where you are in trouble in trial, in sickness, in perplexity, in dilemmas that you cannot solve for yourself. There is no way that you can extract yourself from where you are. But there is a God who knows exactly where you are. And I have a word for you today that God would say to you, out of Egypt have I called my son. Out of trouble have I called my daughter. Out of pain, out of sickness, out of suffering, wherever you are. He's going to call you back out again. See, Jesus did more than just share our struggles. He purchased our victory. He conquered our enemies. He was not defeated in Egypt. He conquered Satan in the Egyptian place in his life. There's this little caveat in this story that is amazing to me. Remember Joseph sold into slavery down into Egypt. 
And Joseph had this, this faith in God. The writer of Hebrews will tell us later. He had this faith in God. And Joseph prophetically tells his family, I know that I'm down here in Egypt. And here we are, Genesis 50. He said, I'm going to die, but God will surely visit you. My goodness. Only people who teach and preach the word of God know what I just felt right then. God will surely visit you. If you're in this first service, I didn't stop right here. But I'm stopping right now to tell you that God will surely visit you. He has not forgotten you. He will surely visit you. You can expect him to show up in your life, in your impossibility. Joseph said, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And so he said, I want to take an oath of you. Everybody, scout sign or raise your hand. When God does this, I want you to get my bones and bring me out of Egypt. And Joseph died being 110 years old. Because he was royalty, they embalmed him. And they put him in a coffin and then in a sepulcher in Egypt. And so here is God on the night of the Passover and the death angel. And they're getting everything ready. You know, they eat the meal in haste. They put on their shoes. They're getting ready to flee Egypt. Somebody says, oh, wait, stop. We've got a mission. Remember, we were kept here by the mercy of Joseph. Joseph made us promise with an oath that we would go dig him out of that grave and take his bones with us. So they go to Joseph's sepulcher. They pull out his coffin. And for 40 years, they haul his coffin through the wilderness till they get to the promised land. And then they bury him on the promised side of Jordan. It was the writer of Hebrews who spoke of the faith of Joseph in Hebrews eleven twenty two By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Hey, I've got a word. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. I don't belong here. I'm not going to stay here. When God comes, get me out of Egypt. I hope you get the message today that God has a word for you. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Why don't you applaud him and thank him. Give him praise today. There was another greater than Joseph. David spoke of him and he said, you will not leave my soul in hell, in the grave, nor suffer your Holy One to see corruption. The apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost said, I know David wrote it, but he wasn't talking about himself because David is dead and his sepulcher is with us today. But he was speaking of Jesus Christ, that God would not leave Jesus in the grave. He went down in the grave, but he came up on the third day and he said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world out of Egypt 
have I called my son. Would you stand right now and would you give praise to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's stand and thank him for the promises of his word. That was a little weak. Why don't we all do that together, huh? Help me out a little bit. Come on. That's it. Can you get excited about a promise? About strength and hope? Amen. You don't know that you might need this word tomorrow and you're just sitting there today like it doesn't even matter, but God sees where you are. Amen. Amen. I know it's Christmas, but don't get lazy on Pentecostal preaching. So you may be depressed, but you don't have to stay in your depression. You may be fearful. Fear has torment. But remember, perfect love casts out fear. You may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Precious people in our congregation are walking there now. But I'm so glad, David, in Psalm 23, when I go through, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It does not matter what Egypt is to you how impossible it may seem. I love the Bible so much. I cannot even imagine how God says, Jose, I know you're getting on to the people of Israel. These backsliders are so bad. But I want you to just drop a line in there. I'm going to need it later. I know you think you're looking back to what I did historically. But Jose, I've got a bigger plan than that. And I will execute it to perfection. So Hosea, he writes as he's moved on by the Holy Ghost. And he says, Israel was my firstborn. Out of Egypt have I brought my son. Called my son. That's why I want to assure you today that the Lord knows exactly where you are. It may seem like the turn of events in your life have just been against you, not fair. Why did God write this into the script of the story of my life? It's totally nonsensical. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a trial. He sees something bigger than whether or not you're happy and healthy and prosperous. He sees where you're going to spend eternity. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. But it's tribulation that works patience, right? So if you're in Egypt today, I have felt for over a month that I should preach this message today. I preached this message in 2008. Different, you know, back then. 2008, back in November, the Lord started prompting me, you're going to preach 
first sermon in December, the king who couldn't kill Christmas. And then on the 20, that, that last Christmas Sunday, 22nd, you're going to preach, out of Egypt have I called my son. So I have to believe that you're either watching online or you're sitting or standing here today because you need this message. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Thank you, Lord, that we know that wherever we are, you have been. Whatever we're going through, you've already experienced. Thank you, Lord, that we know there is absolutely nothing that we will encounter on earth, in time, in our human experience that you have not faced, that you have not fought, that you have not conquered. So we stand on the promise that we can overcome the world because you have promised us out of Egypt have I called my son. I want you to make a victory walk today. I don't want you to kind of just come down. I'd like to invite you to step out and come to this altar as close as you can get and begin to thank God for the promise. You may say, hey, but I'm still in Egypt. But there's a prophecy. There's a promise. Out of Egypt have I called my son. God gave me a promise. That's it. Everyone who will. Everyone who can. And when you come pray with someone near you. Amen.